talking sports as they report back and forth from their home court they talk the sports if you're not sure they talk of sports and then talk more about all sports east west south north ryan talk sports andrew retorts and torchel here as they both sort through all the sports they both support the walk-ons what's up guys welcome to the walk-ons podcast it's ryan reeves it is thursday august 5th 2021 we've got a great show for you guys today definitely some nba draft reactions and the big nba free agency landscape that is really just i mean it's putting money in everybody's pockets which is awesome nfl training camp of course the mlb trade deadline had some good moves there uh and we've also got an awesome interview with a man uh, of Jimmy Kimmel Live fame, Brad Mulcahy. He is an interesting dude. You're not going to want to miss that. Some really good stories there. But Andrew, uh, it's been a wild week pretty much across sports with, you know, NBA free agents just signing all kinds of huge deals. MLB, you know, the trade deadline was probably one of the most exciting in recent memory. But let's start with NBA. Uh, what, what do you make of sort of the free agent landscape now? I mean, did anybody really get that much better in your opinion? No, I mean, my biggest takeaway is I want to be an NBA role player. I'll be a billionaire before I'm 30. I mean, Duncan Robinson getting 90 million. Come on, give me some of that change. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be an NBA player. I mean, the, the contracts are stupid. You mentioned Duncan Robinson. Yeah, the guy can shoot the lights out, but I mean, he's really a role player, not a very good defender. Norman Powell got 90 mil. Uh, I mean, Alonzo Ball out there getting 85 mil. John Collins, 125 mil. I mean, money was changing hands very rapidly, and it's lining a lot of guys' pockets, too. I mean, they're probably going to be coming off the bench. But I'll tell you what, if I could just get out there and just be a 3 and D guy, man, make make $20 million a year, that would be pretty sweet. I could deal with that. Yeah, definitely. But so I kind of didn't answer your question. You asked who got better. I think the Bulls, the Bulls got better, though I don't necessarily know that they're a contender yet. They're probably just a good, solid Eastern Conference playoff team. I think Miami probably solidified themselves as the topper, like uh, topper up. Ep- Upper echelon, sorry, speaking English is hard. Uh, upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. Um, and then the Lakers, I think it's either they're really, really good next year or this is going to be a disaster. So not like a crazy, hectic free agency where the entire balance of power in the NBA is, is a shuffled, but a couple of teams made some nice moves and a couple of teams, I think for the most part, just kind of stayed pat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the Lakers are basically a walking nursing home. Uh, I mean, probably the oldest roster maybe in NBA history. I don't know. That's not factually accurate or not. But uh, yeah, of course, LeBron James, as always, has to check in and he wants the haters to keep that hate going on his old team. And if nothing else, it's going to be great theater uh, to see those guys try to coexist and see who uh, whose wheels kind of come off as the season goes on. But yeah, I I think Miami is probably that team. Everybody's talking about the Bulls. The Bulls are interesting. I mean, they, they certainly did more overnight than to change the the trajectory of a team than I think maybe a team has in recent memory. Uh, but there's going to be a, a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of ball to go around there in the backcourt there with, with DeRozan and you got Kobe white, of course, the rookie who was coming on uh, Lonzo ball. I don't know who the hell they're going to get to play center, but it might not be Lori marketing because they're shopping him. So that's interesting. But I, I think what the heat did was extremely impressive. I mean, Kyle Lowry, they got the max contract extension for Jimmy Butler locked up Duncan Robinson, brought over P.J. Tucker from the Bucks, And I think one, one move that really not a lot of people are talking about is they brought over Markeith Morris, too, who between Markeith Morris and P.J. Tucker, I mean, that is a tough, tough team. And they re-signed Victor Oladipo, too. So, yeah, I think Miami is definitely going to be right back there in the mix. Um, you know, one of the things, I think one of the teams that probably hurt themselves the most is, is the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, I'm not really sure what the hell they're doing. Uh, they ship Lonzo Ball off just to bring in, you know, Devontae Graham, who they probably kind of got different ways. The whole sort of 
talk about in the offseason is what are the Pelicans going to do to make Zion happy to keep him in New Orleans long term and I don't think they did any of that if anything they just expedited his exit yeah I was actually going to say the same thing I think the biggest loser of this free agency was definitely the Pelicans I mean yeah Devontae Graham solid player where they gave up a first round pick for him I mean Charlotte's laughing all the way to the bank with that one with especially the way the Pelicans are playing it might end up being like a good you know lottery pick yeah and then they they lose Lonzo and they bring in Devontae which to me seems like a downgrade when it comes to the guard position I, I really think Zion might be the first like number one max extension caliber player to just say, uh-uh, I'll take less money elsewhere. Just get me out of here, which is kind of hard to believe that the Pelicans screwed it up this bad with both AD and Zion, but that's what it looks like they're heading towards. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like two years ago, it was like, oh, they're bringing David Griffin over the GM who rebuilt the Cavs multiple times. It's, you know, this is, this is the time now for new Orleans to really turn it on. And you got some big names there over the last couple of years. Obviously, the uh, the Stan Van Gundy experiment didn't work at all because they just kept losing leads and couldn't play any defense. But yeah, I don't think a team has ever shot themselves in the foot harder than the New Orleans Pelicans did so far this offseason and what their future lies with with Zion Williamson. You know, another team that's interesting, I guess, you, you can talk about the Knicks. I mean, they made a few moves. Kemba Walker just ended up there. A few nice signings. You know, they, they got Julius Randle back. Evan Fournier, interesting. They brought Derrick Rose back. I mean, they're still the Knicks, right? You know, you look at these free agent signings and you're kind of like, you're seeing these names, these big names, right? Nobody knows how they're going to coexist, how they're going to work within, you know, the construct of the offense, whoever their coaches are. I mean, it's all kind of just much ado about nothing until these guys get on the floor. But I mean, it's certainly something that gets everybody excited, right? Talking about these big deals, talking about guys changing cities, changing uniforms. It's always something that keeps, you know, keeps the NBA in the news cycle, even when they're in the off season. Yeah, no, I, I think if they weren't the New York team, we wouldn't even be talking about them just based off the moves they made. I think we would just be saying, hey, you gave a lot of money to Nerlens Noel and Evan Fournier, which isn't necessarily the smartest thing. But hey, uh, they'll probably be a playoff team next year. So they're going to be talked about a lot. And I think they're probably looking at this as kind of a longer term thing and saying we have to establish we're kind of competitive and competent for the first time in a long time. And then that will, is, is when you're going to get your Dame Lillard or these superstar players to actually seek out playing in New York and not just go off of one year of, of being competitive. Right, right. And you mentioned Dame Lillard. I mean, I think if if the Pelicans win the gold medal uh, of, of the offseason of really not doing much or hurting their team, I think the, the Blazers are squarely in there in, in the, uh, the silver uh, on the podium because, I mean, they really didn't do anything. Obviously, the, the big story is Damian Lillard. Whether he says he did it or not, certainly not happy there. He, he, he point blank said the team was not good enough to compete as they were constructed last year. If anything, they're, they're worse. I mean, 90 mil to Norman Powell, they bring, they bring in Cody Zeller, Tony Snell, and Ben McLemore. What a Holy Trinity that is. I mean, this team is in a tailspin. I don't know what the GM's doing. Poor Chauncey Billups is going to be walking into an absolute nightmare, but yeah, I mean, I think, and I'm not going to be a Stephen, Stephen A. Smith guy here and stare into the camera and say, Damian Lillard is going to the New York Knicks. That's my Stephen A. Smith impression. I know it's terrible. He's like, I guess he's got a New York accent, but I don't see him ending up with New York. I mean, I guess he stays in Portland for now, but I mean, it's going to be an ugly, ugly scenario there when they, you know, are basically out of the playoff chase by, I don't know, January. Yeah, no, I, I think we were talking offline. I think look at the, the Blazers to pull the trigger before the trade deadline when it's so clear they're not competitive. And Dame has done everything he can to be the loyal guy, the loyal superstar. And he's just like, you guys are literally giving me no choice. And honestly, as an NBA fan, you'd probably be like, dude, it's totally understandable in this context for you to be requesting a trade because, yeah, it's a disaster up there. 
and he has multiple years up in his contract. The Blazers will get a King's ransom for him, especially in New York. If it's them, they'll be, you know, take whatever you want. You can have Madison Square Garden if you want. You know what I mean? So take James Dolan too with you. Oh no, the Blazers are like, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, yeah, the Blazers did not do themselves in any any help this offseason, especially when it's such an important offseason for them to do so. I mean, even if it's not a great signing, I would have at least expected them to take a, a chance at somebody, you know, a home run swing. And it really, it's been a bunch of bunts. Trying yeah. To get yeah. Yeah. Portland is a team that needed to take a big swing and they just, they, they bunted, tried, tried to bunt down the third baseline and just rolled three of them fell for a strikeout. It's, it's kind of embarrassing where they're at right now. I feel bad for Damian Lillard because he's a great player by all accounts, a great teammate, a guy who wants to win there in Portland, but they're not doing anything to back him up, which is, it's a little sad to see, but look, NBA free agency, that is certainly one way to build a team into a future contender, future champion. Obviously, that probably the best way because you're, you're dealing out some, some big-time cash for established players. But one of the other ways to do it is, of course, the NBA draft. We're about a week out from that. Tough to, tough to know really how these guys are going to shake out within their teams. But we've got Summer League coming back, which is pretty exciting. I was watching up late with the Miami and the Warriors uh, playing last night, which was actually Brutal, the Warriors' second team uh, on the Summer League is is rough, but uh, a couple couple exciting guys there in Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. But in terms of the NBA draft, Andrew, from your standpoint, did anybody, you know, was there maybe a pick that kind of surprised you? I think really once we got past three, it was kind of a free-for-all, and I don't think anybody knew it was going to go on. Certainly not Kendrick Perkins. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think Kendrick Perkins could even pronounce his own name the way he had a showing on a last Thursday. But yeah, the pick that really kind of startled me was the Scotty Barnes pick going to Toronto because it seemed to me like Jalen Suggs, like was everyone was saying is the safe. He has like all-star caliber talent. Like he just seems like he's going to be NBA ready to go. And Toronto just goes with Scotty Barnes. It tells me they probably have a very specific plan for him. Um, and what was great is Orlando for the first time, it seems like forever got a lottery pick that doesn't seem to be, you know, snake bitten or injury prone or is going to be a huge swing and a miss. I think Jalen Suggs is about as clear cut of a at least solid NBA player as it gets. Um, they also got um, Wagner, so Wagner, yeah. Um, so they, they got some good players, and I think for the first time the Magic are saying, hey, we actually did well on draft night. Um, I also thought the Josh Giddy pick was really interesting because there's a lot of chatter that Memphis made their trade with the Pelicans because they were really targeting Giddy, and then for the Thunder to take him there, I don't think anyone expected that. Um, and so I've heard a lot of comparisons of him being kind of like this Australian version of like LaMelo Ball where he's just a playmaker on every type of, you know, situation. And so I think the Thunder probably hoping to pair him with SGA and see if that works. And yeah, it was just, there was, and then the other picture that really stood out to me was James Bognight going to Charlotte. I thought Charlotte actually had a really good draft night, which you never say. Um, they were able to get him. He, many people were projecting him to be a top five pick. They get him at 11. Same with Kai Jones. They get him later than expected and JT Thor in the second round. And they had a really nice trade with Detroit where they basically got, basically got Mason Plumlee for free. And say what you want about the guy, at least a solid center, which has been their biggest issue. So Charlotte, it seems like, is making all these small steps towards being a playoff team, which I'm excited to see because it hasn't been the case since the original team left. Yeah. Hey, big moves for, for you guys out there in Charlotte. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I agree. I think at four, the Raptors taking Scotty Barnes. It seemed, if you were watching the broadcast, I mean, everybody was in on Jalen Suggs. It was like, this is going to be the Jalen Suggs pick. Raptors go with Scotty Barnes, who, look, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's 6'8", 
he can defend, he can do kind of all those things. He's, he's a point guard, but he can't shoot. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. Certainly the, Ra- the Raptors, Masai Ujiri, he knows what he's doing over there. But, I mean, Jalen Suggs fell right into the Magic's lap, which is really nice. I agree. The Josh Giddy pick, I mean, nobody was even talking about Josh Giddy up until like a month ago. And then the Olympics were going on. People were watching him practice with, you know, the likes of Patty Mills and Joe Ingles and, you know, his draft stock. I don't think, I mean, it took off more than anybody else in this draft and the Thunder getting up there. I mean, they certainly love themselves some, uh, some European talent. So, and I guess this isn't European, it'd be Australian talent, but some international talent, if you will. Uh, I don't know about Franz Wagner. I thought eight was a little high for the magic. I mean, I watched him in Michigan. He didn't really do anything to excite me. I think for me, the, the, the best pick and this is what I wanted for the Warriors at seven Jonathan Kaminga could end up being a star but Davion Mitchell from Baylor and I think the biggest knock on him which is the stupidest thing I've heard is oh he's a he's too old right he's one of the oldest guys in the draft I mean the guy's like 22 or 23 he's not old he's an awesome defender he's a great shooter he's a guy that's not going to take plays off and I think the Kings really are they should be fortunate uh feel fortunate that they that guy like that fell into their lap because I really wanted to see him end up in the bay in with the Warriors but Instead, he's, he's sort of a couple couple hours east there in Sacramento. Um, I think James Boonight, that, that was a nice one. And, of course, I think Moses Moody, I'm going to go Warriors again. He, he could have easily been a top five, top ten pick. He fell to 14. He fits right in. I watched him last night. He looked awesome. He's a guy who can change the flow of the game. Very, very interesting. And you know what? I'll give credit to the Wizards, too. I think Corey Kispert is a guy who's maybe, you know, not that sexy, unless you want to talk about his visage and the way he looks, because he's kind of a handsome dude. The guy can shoot the lights out, and that's the way the game is going now. The Wizards, you know, losing Russell Westbrook, bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie to fill that role. Now you still got Bradley Beal there. I mean, that's a team that's going to shoot the lights out, and they can surprise some people there in the East, especially when it's when it's weak there. But, you know, it's tough to look ahead, but um, I, I think – Obviously, talking about the draft is always something that's pretty exciting. Do you have any final thoughts on that, Andrew, before we toss to our boy Brad Mulcahy in the interview? Uh, the only other thing I would say is I think the Davion Mitchell pick was interesting because I think he's a good player, and you're right, like totally was getting kind of thrown under the bus for no reason. But I don't like to fit with the Kings because the Kings are so guard-heavy already. Unless there's a move that they're waiting to make. I know Buddy Hill was in trade talks, but it just seems like the one thing they already had that they didn't need to worry about was more guards. So unless they were like, it's best player available, and we're just going to build that culture, which – I don't really think the Kings are competent enough to do that. Um, so I don't know. I, he's a good player, but it just, to me, was kind of a, a puzzling fit going to that team specifically. Well, here's the thing, Andrew. I think you could look at the Kings and anybody they might have drafted. It probably wouldn't be a good fit. It's just, it's a it's a tough organization. They've had a, a really, really tough run since the Chris Webber, Peja Stojakovic days. I think it's a good fit only because you need somebody to change the culture and have people that actually want to play in Sacramento. Free agents don't want to go there. It's by all accounts, the front office is in shambles. It's a team that's constantly just, you know, the nine or 10 seed, which is basically suicide in the NBA because you're not at the bottom. So you're not getting really like a high lottery pick or a good chance and you're not making the playoffs. You're basically just stuck in limbo year after year after year. So maybe Davion Mitchell changes things. I understand. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a loaded backcourt, but it doesn't matter how you slice it. It's, it's not a good fit in Sacramento because nobody is. But that, those are good thoughts, Andrew. Let's, uh, let's move over to our interview with our boy, Brad Mulcahy. We'll be right back. All right, our guest today is a friend of the show, a longtime friend of mine as well. He truly has a penchant for locating the obscure as a longtime human interest producer at Jimmy Kimmel Live. He's also a walking en- encyclopedia of sports gambling tales. Our man, Brad Mulcahy, is here. What's up, Brad? Nothing much, nothing much. Enjoying the day. How is everybody there? 
Hey, we're living large. Enjoy the day as always. Listen, I know you had a bit of a, a battle with your Zoom account to get in here today. Uh, are we all good there? You feeling all right? Well, yeah, I'll just give you three seconds. See, the thing is, being a lunatic and not, and I haven't looked in the mirror in 14 years, and I, and I, uh, uh, I just do it briefly. Uh, so the idea of Zoom is that, okay, so I don't really know what I'm saying. A lot of times what I'm, so here's the thing. What I think I say, what I say, and what other people hear are usually often three different things. So Zoom is, is a, looking at a person I barely recognize and having him say things back to me that I don't remember saying four seconds ago. So I don't do Zoom. I cut off the video. Hey, whatever works for you, man. We're, we are a, uh, a guest forward show. So you, you, know, you don't want to get on Zoom. It's cool. But we're, we're glad you're here. And let, let's get into some training camp stuff. Obviously, uh, you know, your, your New York football giants. Uh, we've got Joe Judge there. He's, he's got the second season coming on. It seems like it's, it's a contentious kind of group here, right? I mean, we've got uh, everybody's kind of fighting at camp. There was a fight yesterday. Daniel Jones ended up at the bottom of the pile. He got some doubt from some of his uh, teammates saying they love seeing him in there with, you know, as a teammate, but you definitely don't want to get your quarterback hurt in, in, in camp. Um, look, Joe Judge seems to be a guy who likes to punish like, you know, my high school PE teacher making guys run laps, do push-ups. What's going on with Big Blue? I mean, is this a sign of good things to come? You like what Joe Judge is doing here with the iron fist or is this kind of getting out of hand here early on? Uh, well, yes. Well, Seamus was saying this yesterday, and I agreed with him totally. He said the Giants look like they're uh, – the way they're constructed now, they're going to go 16-0 and very easily. So <laughs> Seamus was saying that, you know, they're probably – thank you, sir. They're probably just doing this to try to, like, even up the field a little bit, trying to bring them back. Because obviously, you know, with, you know, that defensive line, that includes some guys. And then an offensive line, which, you know, has some other guys. And then an all-pro quarterback and the indestructible running back. It's obvious – that we're not going to lose many games. So they're just trying to even up the, even up the playing field a little bit. I, and I agree with Seamus completely on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think you guys are set up to go 16 and 0 though. I think that that first week one game against the Broncos, that might be your only roadblock, but that's neither here nor there. Um, another NFC lease team that's been in the news this week is the Eagles who seem to can't get out of their own way. And now are in trade rumors for Deshaun Watson, which is, that whole thing at Texans camp is an entirely different thing. We can go on a tangent later, but you know, what do you kind of make of these trade rumors that they may be going to go after Watson? Because even though this legal battle is far from settled, I mean, he's still a young player and he's definitely going to get to play in the NFL again. We just don't quite don't know when that's going to be. So what do you make of this and kind of, how do you see this thing playing out? Well, I think if things are a mess and things are unsure and there's some uncertainty, why not go after the guy who you have no idea will be available after this year? I think that I think that'll settle everything. Let, let's get the most controversial guy out there before it's settled or before the facts are in. I mean, that, that seems like that'll settle the locker room. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Well, here, let's move to a guy who's actually at least going to be with his current team for the upcoming season, we think. Aaron Rodgers, he is back in Packers camp, dropping some dimes as he usually does. But you know, look, I, I actually appreciated what he said. He, he was pretty candid in his uh, in his presser talking about, you know, he really just didn't kind of trust the the front office and he wanted to have some say, which I think he probably earned it. But what's your what's your thought on the Aaron Rodgers front office sort of debacle that's going on there in Green Bay? Well, from the beginning, I didn't think he was going to play anywhere else. It didn't seem like he had a lot of contractual options to play anywhere else. And um, yeah, he does. He does deserve a say. And, you know, I understand that he's upset that some of his pals didn't get signed or treated poorly. And then in that interview, a lot of it was good. And then, listen, 
the people in Green Bay know they live in Green Bay. I mean, they they don't they don't need him to point out that you know Green Bay makes Scranton look like Honolulu. I mean, to say that out loud is like, okay, we know it's freezing and it's July. We know it's terrible here. You don't need to point that out. I thought that was a little unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. But, uh, you know, moving on to a different sport, we already talked about one New York team. Let's talk about uh, the Yankees, which is, you know, Seamus' favorite team. He's been really plugged in on them this year. But you're a lifelong Yankees fan as well. So we got to ask, these offensive upgrades, Rizzo, you know, Joey Gallo and a couple other guys, are they really going to, be what takes the Yankees over the edge, or is Aaron Boone going to just hold them down like the anchor he's been this whole season? Um, God, I don't know. I mean, I've gone to Yankee games since I was a child to the point when, when I first used to go as a kid and my father used to take us by that jail there in the Bronx. For, for years, I thought, like, I mean, like five and six, I thought every state spoke a different language. Like, that's how long I've been going to Yankee Stadium. It was just like I didn't understand outside of my little world. Um, yeah, they're going to be fine. I mean, obviously, I mean, James was saying this too, that the Red Sox, it looked like in the beginning of the year, they were constructed to tank, you know, to go up their good draft pick next year. I mean, it's just such a poorly constructed team. And then they started winning. And now I think they had another team meeting the other day. It's like, all right, listen, you, did you all forget we're tanking? And then they've been tanking for like a week. So again, I agree with Seamus on that. The Red Sox are finished. <laughs> Well, I love that. Hey, look, the Yankees obviously made a lot of moves. I mean, they're certainly trying to close some of that ground on the Red Sox. But who who out of that group? I mean, Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo, Andrew Heaney, a couple bullpen arms. Who is Who do you think is going to pan out, I mean, the best? I mean, obviously, Anthony Rizzo, first guy in Yankee history to have six RBIs in six games. But, I mean, do you do you think Joey Gallo is going to kind of find his footing there with that short right, right field porch? I, I think he will. Obviously, the key is the two left-handers. I mean, they had nobody on the left side of the uh, – of the plate and uh yeah i think joey gallo will get hot later but i mean rizzo he's more i guess it just seems because it's so early he's doing so well it seems like such a charismatic guy that seems to fit but you know fitting for a week in the bronx is a little different than you know coming up big in in october you know oh yeah definitely um but moving from one premier franchise to another you know the lakers this week free agency happened and they went out and it seemed to sign everybody over the age of 50 that's still playing in the NBA. <laughs> now, what do you kind of make of this? And, you know, is this, is this going to keep them at the top of kind of the Western Conference hierarchy? Or are you looking no. at it as, you know, a Jimmy Kimmel producer and saying there's a human interest story here. We have a retirement home playing in the NBA right now. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, they're done, right? I mean, it, you know, Carmelo, who I like, that was a tough couple. Of, that was a tough couple of years being a New York fan, where you you had to root for Carmelo and you had to root for Alex Rodriguez. I mean, that was a tough stretch because they can both get on your nerves. Um, no, Carmelo's gonna make no difference. What's he gonna play? Sixteen minutes and shoot? You know, take thirty-two shots? I don't see. Um, yeah, I don't see him making any difference. I don't see them. They're done. I I, I don't think. I think everybody's going to be a little better and they're just going to be a little older. Yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like you're not going to be uh, betting on them to win it all this year uh, there, Randy. But speaking of that, look, we know you're a big, big guy on, on gambling. You've got with Bill Simmons, cousin Sal, you've got that group of guys who just seem to know what they're doing, but I want to bring back maybe a, a bit of a contentious moment for you. And I'm going to call it nothing other than the Tameric Vanover debacle. And I'm gonna let you run with it. Give me the story behind that. Okay. So, um, I'm in college 
um, I don't know, my third year. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember any of this, but I, I don't remember any of college. But so I'm in Connecticut in college, and I'd done this once before in high school when I lost um, $3,700 on a, on, on a March in 1991 on, um, uh, it was Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, Georgetown, Rutgers, St. Joe's. And I lost all three and I was down $1,000 before. And I used, this is late 80s, New Jersey. So I used to call New York City for the bets. Like I used, it was a 212 exchange and area code. And I used to say, this is Sarah for Moon. I was Sarah and the guy who vouched for me yeah, that didn't work out well for him. But his name was Moon. So I would say, this is Sarah from Moon. So it was like legitimate calling into a bookie in, in Manhattan, late 80s mafia stuff. So anyway, so I lost all that money and then I bailed. And then, uh, so now it's three years later and I'm in Connecticut and I'm, and I'm down, I don't know, maybe $1,000. And I bet, I bet the Chargers over the Chiefs and... My memory serves me right. I'm giving this. I also told the story on Jimmy Kimmel Live a long time ago, and I think it's also in Sal's book. Um, so I'm giving, yeah, I'm giving, getting four and a half. Um, wait, let me, you might have to do that. So Chargers were getting four in Kansas City, weren't they? If, if memory okay, that's what it is. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, sorry about that. So Chargers are getting four. Um, they're up four. Okay, with like a minute, with two minutes to go, they're on like the goal line or maybe the four, and Natron Means gets stuffed a bunch. Now, if he gets in, it's over. They kick a field goal, uh, the Chiefs get the ball, and uh, Steve Bono goes uh, like maybe 70 or 80 yards to tie the game with 15 seconds to go. Uh, in between, there's the easy dropped interception. So I'm in my college apartment, and you know, everything's on the line now. So it goes to overtime. Now, before this, in May, I had already signed up to join the Navy because things were getting out of control with the gambling and other things. So I had an exit strategy, but I had caught fire. The Yankees were going to the playoffs. I remember going to a game in the playoffs in the fall of 96, the fall of 95. Uh, that was the Mattingly year. And um, so they go to overtime. It goes back and forth a little bit, and the Chargers punt it. And Tamaric Vanover returns it 78 yards, maybe longer, for a touchdown. And they win by and they win by six. <laughs> so it's like back, you know, and back in 1995, it was very rare. It was quite rare that somebody scored a touchdown in overtime. It just didn't happen. The only way it happened was, you know, a pick six or or a punt return. So he returns his punt. I'm sitting there. I owe maybe 2,400. I don't got 50 cents. And I told the guy, I'd pay him when, I told him I'd pay him Thursday and Wednesday I was in the United States Navy. And that was it. And when I got to boot camp and you're in boot camp, it stinks. And you're walking around and everybody's counting down the days to the end of boot camp. They're counting down 87, 86. I was counting down from 1,095. So I had three years. So they're all counting down from 90 something. I'm counting down from like 1,095. To make matters worse, um, he, uh, I caught a leap year. So you want to be depressed? Have it be February 29th in the Persian Gulf when you're fueling airplanes on a flight deck of an aircraft carrier. I mean, that's just not even fair. Oh, God, February, what? So, and then I got out, and then, and then I, uh, 
And then I came out here and actually did the same thing again to Sal, but came up with the money at the last second, which is also in that book. So yeah, I have a, I have a history of gambling with no money to pay. So basically, I mean none. What you're saying is, is Tamaric Vanover is the reason why you, you ended up in the Persian Gulf in the Navy. Absolutely 100% the reason. All right, we're going to have to get... Yeah, it could have happened maybe a couple months later or, or whenever because I was ready to go. I mean, I wasn't ready to go at all, but there was an exit strategy. But, you know, yeah, that, that altered, the, uh, altered the course of my life, that punt return, to like, to like a movie extent where it's just not believable, you know. <laughs> and then the Navy wasn't for, you know, that wasn't a perfect fit for this guy. No, it doesn't sound like it. But, hey, you, you speak about a kind of a, a low moment for you in your betting history. But it sounds like you had a really great story from last year of a 20-game of a streak. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it was really good until it wasn't. Yeah, I was in, I'm in a, uh, uh, an eliminator pool with uh, 5,000 people. It's 100 bucks. So it's, you know, it was, I think it was $529,000. So first 10 weeks, obviously, you know, you can't, one team a week, you can't pick the same team twice. So after 10 weeks, I'm 10 and 0, and there's maybe 700 people left. So now you got to pick two teams every week. The next five weeks, I go another 10 and 0. So I'm tw- I hit 20 straight games, all documented, 20 straight games, 20 different teams over the course of 15 weeks. So I'm at week 16, and I have the Bears over Jacksonville at 10 a.m. and win that. So now I'm at 21, 21 different teams, 15 weeks. And then the next game is the Eagles over the Cowboys. And I think they're up 14-3, and the Cowboys beat them. And it ends. If the Eagles win that game, it would, I would have been one of six people left for $529,000. Oof. And I had the next two games right as well. I had it all mapped out. The next two were um, the Giants and Washington. So I had the next two mapped out. So I, I was not going to not going to be beaten. But, you know, of all these people, you know, I, you know Sal and all them, we're all professionals um, and very good and just so much more learned than I am. I had 20 in a row with 20 different teams. And that's just – and then I, I, I did one for basketball, and I did three things. I was out the very first day. <laughs> yeah i mean that's the way it goes right the the pendulum swings yeah. one way and then it giveth and it taketh away there my man but look you mentioned the book a couple times and i want to talk about this really quickly obviously cousin sal's made a good name for himself in the gambling arena uh you yourself you had the the 20 pick streak heater for a little while but cousin sal's book you can't lose them all tales of a degenerate gambler and his ridiculous yeah. friends now i would have to assume that you may be one of his ridiculous friends but Less than that, I want to know, what's your favorite Cousin Sal gambling story? Because I know there's got to be a few in there, and I feel like you wouldn't tell them. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I have a whole chapter in that book um, <laughs> dedicated to me and these things. Um, but one of the better stories is, is what I did to him. Um, <laughs> it's my first year at the Man Show. I just got out of the service. Um, and I, oh, I, I went to high school with David Blaine, a magician, a good friend of mine. I hung out with him for a while. And his producer was Daniel Kellison, who was starring this show called The Man Show. And he's like, hey, you want to be a PA on this show? I didn't know what a PA was. I was just fueling airplanes in the flight deck. I said, okay. So I go there and I meet Sal. And this is 1998, I think, or 99. 
And so, you know, we, we, uh, we bond pretty quickly because we bet in high school. And that's, that's a unique bond. If you talk to another guy who was betting games at 16 and listening to WFAN and watching a 2858 ticker on ESPN. And, you know, he did a lot of the same things I did. He would cover up one of the two scores as it came up, like the bottom half with your, with your hand, and then, you know, see if you won. And you also remember the game that the fan got the, the score wrong. It was like Wake Forest in 1985, 1990. They got the score wrong. And we both remembered that. And we both, so I started gambling with him, you know, because at this point, gambling's been working out for me, you know, so I'm going to do it one last time. Let it ride. Fully moved, fully moved three states and joined the military. <laughs> so, so, you know, it goes back and forth and I, I lose, I bet an if then bet with the, uh, the Braves and then the Yankees. And so I think it's the first year of interleague play because it was the Braves and the Orioles. The Orioles were bad. So I have, if I lose this bet, I own like 1300. Um, so, okay, Cal, um, Cal Ripken Jr. played a lot of baseball games. I think we can all agree on that. In no other baseball game he ever played, did he ever have more base hits, the main goal of batters, than he did the day I had the Braves. He had six hits. The Orioles won 23 to one, and I owed Sal $1,400, and I don't know if I had $14. So... It's my very first year. I mean, I've done it again, right? Like I've done it again. And so it's like June or, or, or May and the show's wrapping up. And I really like these people. I like Jimmy. I like Adam. I like the environment. And so I'm like, oh man, I can't run this time too. I can't run. So, so I did this scheme. I don't know if we should put this on the thing, but um, it was a, a credit card scheme where basically I robbed Home Depot. And so I did it one last time where I robbed this place with credit card fraud. And then the last day of the show, I handed him $1,400. And that's in the book. So he was like, I mean, he didn't know me from Adam. I was only there four months. It was like the first year of this show. Who knows if he'd ever see me again. And on the last day, I handed him $1,400 bill, $1,400. So that kept me in the loop. It kept me in the group. And here I am still 22 years later. All thanks to Home Depot, right? Well, uh, thanks to some guy who didn't who didn't secure his credit card as well as he should have. <laughs> Incredible. Well, well, we'll leave you off with one more question. And then, you know, with the NFL season starting this year or, or starting oh, this yeah. week, uh, you know, what what are some sneaky bets that you're looking at for this season or even for just week one? Just kind of something, you know, maybe give us a hint where, where you're leaning this year. Um, I tell you. I, I I saw a rookie of the year that seemed good. I don't know who said it. I don't know if Bill said it or what. Um, uh, that tight end, tra- what's his name? Kyle, no, not Kyle, Kyle Trask. Pitts. Oh, Pitts. Pitts. Kyle Pitts, yeah. I mean, that seems like, I, I don't know about quarterbacks or rookie of the year. Like, you know, Urban Meyer, I just have a feeling is going gonna, is gonna to have a tough time adjusting. I, I just think, you know, I mean, the first thing he did was hire the, the, the uh, the strength coach that they fired for inappropriate behavior. Like he seems like he's going to have a tough transition to where you just can't do anything you want to do, you know? And and I think quarterbacks, I mean, fields might have a few games, but I don't know. I I think that that tight end, I think he's he's 15 to one or something. I think that tight end is going to have big moments. 
he's on the he's on the Falcons, correct? Am I wrong? Yeah, yep, Falcons. Right. So I don't know, man. That's an offensive team. I think he's gonna have big plays. I know tight end is a long shot for a for um rookie of the year, but um that seems like a good value. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it, look, the Falcons, I think, are going to be – they got a decent offense. They're going to be a bad team. They're going to be playing from behind a lot. So, Kyle Pitts, there you go, a pick from Randy. But, listen, Randy, we are out of time, but I got to ask you one last thing because I've known you for about 12 years. It's been a little while yeah. since we talked, and I know you as a guy who loves his fruit by the foot and his Jolly Ranch. <laughs> did very creative things up there in the TV watcher's room that I had to clean up as a PA. A lot yeah. of – we won't go into that, but I, I want to know – are you still on that train or do you got something new in the sweet tooth uh, arena there? No, I'll tell you this though. So I, I do those fruit by the foots and I used to take them home and then hand them out to uh, the homeless people in um, MacArthur park. And I used to do it in there and go in there after 10, I'd be in there after 10 30. And then, you know, I get a ticket from the police for handing out food to people who need food. And then every couple of years I'll jaywalk and then they'll run my thing and I'll go to jail for, uh, failure to appears for feeding people. So I, I would pass those out and then not pay my fines. I tend not to pay my things, I just noticed. Well, I guess you just got to borrow from another hardware store. I hear Lowe's is out there too. They're, they're right for the picking. Yeah, it's more the credit card, but you know, back in the day, you could get a credit card, get, get a gift certificate for $100, buy an eraser for 99 cents and get back $99. But um, they figured that one out. But that, well, that was man, a gold mine. <laughs> you're a man of the people man it's it's so great to see you again uh this okay. was this was a lot of fun keeping everybody in macarthur park on a sugar high at all times that's my guy giving back randall thank you so much man good to see you okay thank you very much all right brother all right well andrew i'm sure that may not have been exactly how you thought that interview would go down but uh having known brad mulcahy for about 12 years now that's exactly how i went down I, I expected it to go down he's a bit eccentric uh very interesting i hope we didn't like we're not accomplices in him like i guess you know <laughs> implicating himself in some sort of credit card fraud but it's already in cousin sal's book so i feel fine about that but uh, you know, how'd you feel about it? Yeah, I think we're okay. But hey, you know what? What a story that will be if we go to prison because he made a podcast. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, that was like hearing a story out of The Sopranos. And the thing I learned is, yeah, don't go to Home Depot because you will get ripped off. Yeah, don't go to Home Depot. Don't leave your pants hanging around in any kind of locker room or anything. It's a, it's a good lesson for us all. And, you know, for those of you who heard me call him Randy or Randall, no, that's not his name. No, I did not have a stroke. Uh, it's a long story, but long story short, in our days back at Jimmy Kimmel, when I used to work there, Brad Mulcahy, he was just, he, that was his thing. He called everybody Randy and Randall. Uh, and if he didn't call you Randy or Randall, it means he didn't like you. And that took me a few months for him to finally get around to call me Randy Randall. And that was a huge day in my life. So that's where the Randy Randall came from. I have no idea why he does it. It's just kind of his thing. And we're just going to go with it. So Andrew, on that note, let's talk about some other craziness. Let's talk about the MLB trade deadline, because I think this is probably the busiest one, at least that I can remember. I mean, guy, guys flying everywhere. The Yankees, the, you know, the rich get richer, the Dodgers, they get Trey Turner, not only Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, they get a bunch of bullpen help. The Yankees, of course, getting Anthony Rizzo, getting Joey Gallo, some couple big lefties there. My Giants who, listen, I said last time we recorded this show that I kind of wanted them to stand pat because even though, yes, we probably needed another bat, probably somebody else in the bullpen. I didn't want to mess with the mojo, but I think the best possible thing, and I said it last time that we could get is 
Chris Bryant, I feel like a kid on Christmas. It's absolutely awesome. I don't care what other moves have been made. Chris Bryant to the Giants is the biggest move in my mind, and it, it's it's going to take us to the NOS pennant. I know it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think the, the stories lie in the NL West because, like you said, the Dodgers somehow got Scherzer and Trey Turner. And Scherzer's game la- uh, debut last night, he had 10 Ks. It was being celebrated like he's been there for 15 years. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the Chris Bryant to the, to the Giants, that's an MVP player, even though he's not really as good as he was five years ago, added to that team. And, yeah, it was like it was uh, the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers were all fighting for the same handful of players, which is really interesting. Um, and then, yeah, the Yankees, you know, went for everybody. It still may not help. You know, we asked, we asked Randy that, I guess, or whatever he wants to be called. And, and he was like, yeah, I mean, as long as Aaron Boone's there, like, who really knows? So a lot, a lot of fireworks in the sense of like a lot of big names. And hey, the 2016 Cubs team is, is basically done. You know, all those big names are gone. And that's just so crazy because it's not like an all-time great team, but it's an all-time historic team. The Cubs yeah. team has broke the curse and they're broken up. Yeah, I do feel for the Cubs fan base. I mean, literally in the blink of an eye, your entire core from that championship winning team is just basically gone. I mean, they got rid of everyone. But, you know, in that same respect, I also I got a lot of respect for it. I mean, if you're going to rebuild, if you've decided, hey, this is not our season, we are going to rebuild, just do it right. Too many teams in the past have been like, oh, well, we'll get rid of one guy. But then you've got a bunch of fat contracts on there and some, you know, some minor leaguers who may not pan out. But I got to tell you this. Andrew, don't say Chris. The one thing that I've been hearing so much is, oh, Chris Bryan is washed. The guy is 29 years old. He was a NL Rookie of the Year, an NL MVP. The guy can still play. The guy is still a masher. He's still one of the best third baseman. Well, I mean, guys plays every position, but he's still one of the best hitters in the major leagues. So don't tell me he's washed. Don't tell me he was good five years ago. I know that he's still great. I mean, he homered in his debut like the other two Cubs did, Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo, which really has to hurt the Chicago fan base. Don't you dare tell me he's washed because the guy is exactly what we need. Hey, I mean, I can simultaneously say he's not washed and still say he's not as good as his MVP season was a couple of years ago. I think that's totally fair. But yeah. then to go off what you said about the Cubs, if you're going to rebuild, just rebuild. You had the freaking Rockies who have Trevor Story, who has basically said, I am not going to resign with you guys. Like it's a, it's a, it's the worst kept secret in baseball and they don't trade him. And the stories coming out about why they didn't trade him are ridiculous. So apparently one of the reasons they didn't trade him is because they've had a lot of their front office leave. And so now the people who are running the front office don't actually have relationships with the other front offices in baseball. So they were afraid that they would just get taken advantage of. That's a, that's just so absurd. They're basically just saying we'll settle for the comp, the compensatory pick for our franchise pillar player, because we don't have enough just capable front office members who even know other people and other franchises. It's, it's just, I've been saying it all year in my, I don't have to do any more arguments. They keep their actions speak for themselves. The Rockies are an absolutely dysfunctional mess and ugh, we'll have the yeah. home run derby. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess I feel for you. I mean, look, we, we gave a little bit of doubt to the Cubs. I think Washington, the nationals did it right too. Right. I mean, it, it hurts as a fan base to see those guys go out the door, but you got some good prospects back. I mean, Washington may have even gotten better prospects back, especially from the Dodgers um then the cubs did but you know the cubs got rid of i think nine guys washington got rid of eight guys colorado got rid of who anyone maybe no one guy one. Uh, that's certainly not, not how you rebuild not a single guy and trevor's story not literally was guy. so mad he was so mad they didn't trade him he took himself out of the lineup on friday like this is not like oh is he maybe gonna 
resign. He has all but said, like, I am refusing to resign with this franchise because you're so poorly run. And then they can't even trade him because they like, to a certain extent, literally did not know how to do a trade because they didn't have relationships with other people on other teams. And the Yankees wanted him. There was chatter that the athletics wanted him at one point. Hell, even the Giants, I'm sure, call it even though their division, not I wouldn't say rivals, but they're in the same division. So it's just like, how do you not get something from him? They've been fleeced with Arenado and Trevor Story. Basically got nothing for the two best players they've had in the last 10 years. It's just, it's a disgrace. Well, not nothing, Andrew, because if, if you believe the ultimate spin zone that the Rockies front office is putting out there, and they basically said, well, none of the offers that we received for Trevor Story were better than what we would end up getting if he leaves in free agency, which is a, which is a compensatory first-round pick, fine, but I think it's going to be you know in the 30s in the first round. So you cannot tell me that one single first-round pick at the end of the first round is better than any package that the team gave you. I'm sure that's absolute BS, but – Hey, it's the Rockies being the Rockies, man. That's why you love them. Make a shirt. Might as well. We should just change the podcast to this. Just the Rockies being the Rockies. And it's just being the Rockies. Yeah, I'm sure people would really listen to that. That'd be great. Well, hey, let's talk some things that people are really talking about. And let's go NFL training camp. Look, we can't mention NFL training camp without mentioning Aaron Rodgers. He's there. He's in the Packers, green and yellow. He's doing his thing. Uh, look, the whole story around this – I really appreciate what he did coming out in that, you know, he, he certainly kept it under wraps for quite a long time in the off season. Certainly he wasn't the one to blame when the story got broke by Adam Schefter on draft night. He got a lot of vitriol for that, but listen, I, I respect what he said. I don't think anything he said is kind of out of the ordinary. I mean, certainly Randall, AKA Brad Mulcahy in our interview said, you know, it, it, it's green Bay, right? It's, it's freezing still in July. Nobody wants to come there, you know, to actually play, as a free agent or a trade trade piece in green Bay. That's partially true. I mean, I've been to green Bay. It's uh, there's some lovely spots, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough area. You're basically going there. If you're going there, you're going there to win a title and you're going there to play with Rogers. Like you said, you're going to play with the team. And I think he's right. I mean, I just, I appreciate Aaron Rodgers the candidness that he does. He's always brought that to his interviews. He's always told it like it is. He always tells it very eloquently. And I think the whole idea of, you know, how it's worked out with the, with the front office, basically saying he thinks he's probably earned the right to have some say. Yeah, he's right. He absolutely has. I mean, what, who in your right mind, if you're Gutenkunst or Murphy or anybody else in that front office say, yeah, we're going to build this team without our franchise quarterback, MVP, Super Bowl winner, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, without his say in anything. I mean, it's, it's a stupid way to run a company or a business or a football team. I don't know how they, those guys still have jobs. No. And what's so complex about the situation is that there's no simple way for Rogers to handle this from all, from what it's come out the last couple of weeks and what we heard throughout the whole saga was he wanted out. The problem was, is if he comes out and says, I want to trade, which is probably the only way he actually would have been traded this top season, the green Bay fan base was going to drop him forever. Yeah. And, and, you know, as much as he wants out of Green Bay, he's still going to be remembered as a Packer. And he wants to have that legacy as one of their top five players, which he definitely has earned. So he had to kind of say, you know, I, I, I don't have all the leverage as much as I want to have, but he's still got Green Bay to make considerable concessions. There is no way he'll be on the Packers next year. We're just going to get a repeat of this, except we'll know all the details that he's definitely going to get traded next year. And like you said, the, the, the Packers front office may have their quarterback this year. But the way they handled this and what's come out about how they've handled themselves in the past, it's going to screw this franchise five to 10 years down the road because unless Jordan Love is the next, you go far to Rodgers, Jordan Love is three Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I think this has shown so much about how that franchise is run 
But like you said, if they don't have that pillar franchise player, you're not going to go play there. It's not a fun city to play in. And now we know the organization is not want run very well. Like it's been clear that they do not really treat the players the way they, they should be. Devontae Adams is almost certainly gone next year. And so within a span of two years, you're going from having the best quarterback in the league, arguably, and the best wide receiver in the, in the league, arguably, leaving because of something just the front office did. And, and that's, you know, like I said, they're going to be competitive this year. It's going to be them in Tampa Bay again. But I would not be shocked if in three years they're kind of like the third or fourth worst team in the entire NFC. So, you know, it's, it's I'm really bummed he's not in the Broncos this year. And next year, you know, he still may not because there's going to be more trade partners on the table. But I think, you know, it's just it's we've, we've got a lot of blanks filled in the last couple of weeks, which has been the biggest thing for the last couple of months is we don't really know what's going on. And now we kind of do. Yeah, I certainly appreciate it. It's not a good look for the front office in Green Bay at all. It's awful. I mean, I guess in a way you could credit Rodgers and to a certain extent Devontae Adams to, you know, they're actually doing more than they probably needed to for the organization. They're running it back one more time. Obviously, you know, everybody knows kind of what's going on behind the scenes there and it's not good, but they're at least giving the organization one year to say, all right, look, let's go try to get one. And they're probably going to, you know, make it to the playoffs and lose again. Uh, I don't think they're better than Tampa Bay or Los Angeles or Seattle or shit, even Chicago. Who knows what they're going to do? But I guess they're doing them a favor and basically saying, all right, you got, you guys got a year to figure out the future rather than just, you know, basically cutting bait right now. So, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a give and take and they're probably giving the front office more than they deserve, but I guess one of the interesting things that's come out of this, right? Everybody knows the NBA is a player's league. The players run the league. I mean, you see guys like Anthony Davis, they're holding their teams hostage until they get traded because they're in a situation they don't like. Now the NFL is a completely different league. It's clearly run by the owners. It's clearly run by the guys at the top, you know, longer, excuse me, wider rosters, larger rosters, a lot of guys to keep happy there. Obviously the quarterback and, you know, your number one wide receiver, who's probably arguably the best wide receiver in the league. Does this Rogers moment. And again, what's kind of extended out to Devonte Adams. I mean, does this change the narrative at all? Does this sort of make, other players in certain similar situations kind of say, Hey, you know what? Like I'm not having my, with my front office either. I'm going to put their feet over the fire and, you know, see what happens. I mean, does this turn the NFL into more of a player's league? Is this more of an empowerment move? I think it's the first step in that, or I'll say the second step actually, because I think the first step is Brady going to Tampa Bay and basically saying, give me what I want and look what happened. And they're probably going to win the Super Bowl again this year, or they're going to leave, you know, they're one of the top three teams again this year. And I think, you know, you saw it with Russell Wilson. You saw it with Aaron Rodgers. I think they saw that and went, what the hell am I doing in my franchise? Yes, we've won a Super Bowl, but I feel like we've wasted so many opportunities because our franchise is not really putting us in the best position to succeed, at least in their opinion. And then to kind of go back to what you were saying, I think they did the front, or Rodgers did the front office a favor. He only did that to me because he knows they're a competitive team right now. And he, he was doing it as a favor to the fans. Because then now it's very upfront with the fan base. It's like, hey, I stuck by you guys as long as I could. And then the organization left me no choice. And he's giving them a one-year heads up. If I'm gone next year, you guys cannot hate on me because I've, you know, I've given it my all. But yeah, you're kind of seeing the NBAization of the NFL where it's, you know, some players are going to get some say in it. Now it's not going to be every player. It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be only the Brady's, the Rogers, the Mahomes will definitely have some say with the Chiefs, I'm sure. It's only a select few because you know, 
you could have the best left tackle in the NFL, but even the left tackle is not necessarily going to, you know, change your franchise in terms of like, we have to make the left tackle, you know, happy. It's going to be the quarterbacks. It's going to be a, a handful of wide receivers, just the real superstar players. But yeah, even from 10 years ago, it's definitely a drastic change in terms of the players having more of a say and making an impact on their franchise from a, you know, larger scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you even saw a little taste of it earlier earlier on in the offseason before the Aaron Rodgers story kind of took over everything. It was Russell Wilson, right? The old the whole quote, Russell Wilson's camp, quote unquote, uh, it was, wasn't happy with, you know, the moves that they had made and maybe his say over the franchise and the, the different kind of drafts or free agents that they would bring in. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like you said, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be position position specific. It's going to be a quarterback. It's going to maybe be a wide receiver. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins kind of did something similar, you know, out of Houston to get him over to, to Arizona. Um, it's something that needs to happen. It, it really something that just seems obvious to me. I mean, if you're running a company and your number one employee, if you're running a sales company, and your number one employee who is outperforming everybody, who is clearly the most important person is saying, Hey, I, I need to say, and who we're going to hire here, who this team is, is going to be built under me, who these people were going to be bringing in. And, you know, it's basically the, the boss of the CEO saying, nah, now nah, we're just going to keep going. doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you're going to leave. I mean, it's just, it's such a bad look. It's such a terrible way to run a team. You best players are going to be there. The NFL is the shortest average career in any sport in the world. I mean, guys, you know, Peter out in three to four years, obviously the quarterback position is different, but yeah, if you, if your windows to win in the NFL are so small that if you don't acquiesce to what your your franchise quarterback is saying and what he wants to do from a personnel standpoint, then you're, you're idiotic and you have absolutely no business winning in the league and you probably won't. But let's talk about another quarterback who is actually not going to be around for a little bit. I just feel bad even bringing up his name, but Carson Wentz, he's out five to 12 weeks, which is a large window. Apparently it was a foot injury that he suffered in high school that uh, just kind of popped up here in training camp. I'm convinced the Colts are cursed. I don't know about you, but man, <laughs> we're hearing talk about reuniting Frank Reich with Nick Foles, who is now the, the number three quarterback in Chicago. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that Colts team, that, that's a legitimate team. Their defense is fantastic. They've got some great weapons on the outside. Um, what happens in Indianapolis? I mean, how do they go without Carson Wentz? Because I don't know if Jacob Eason's the answer. No, dude. And yeah, my, my takeaway was going to say the same thing. This is, I just feel bad for the Colts. It's been yeah. three years now where it's been like, oh man, they had Andrew Luck. They're going to be the, the team to, to rival the Chiefs. And then he retires right before the season. Doesn't really leave him a backup plan in picking quarterback. Then last year, they have Phillip Rivers who had a good season. They made the playoffs, pushed the Bills in that playoff game. But you could just tell if they had an elite quarterback, they might've been the best team in the AFC. And then this year, I'm not saying Carson Wentz makes them you know, a contender, but at least we were looking at, Hey, there's a chance if he gets to his MVP level, they could, you know, make some noise. And now he's hurt. And with the, the weird timeline, it could be five weeks. Like he could be ready to start the season or it could be 12 kind of leaving them in a weird position. And then Quentin Nelson gets the same injury. The Colts fans have to be like, we didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, I, I talk all the time. Oh, the Broncos are a quarterback away. Well, that's, that's their fault because they don't they can't evaluate quarterbacks. This isn't the Colts fault. It's just bad luck. Yeah, the Quinn Nelson injury is, I mean, it, that's probably, that hurts even worse than Carson Wentz. I mean, depending on who you're listening to outside of Colts camp, I mean, Carson Wentz didn't exactly set the world on fire here in the first week of camp. Quinn Nelson, obviously all, all pro guard. I mean, he sets the tone for that offense. He does what he does and he's got the same injury as Carson Wentz. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, 
I, I don't care one way or another about the Indianapolis Colts. It's just a team that's just kind of on the radar there. But yeah, I mean, in successive years, getting hit with the retirement out of nowhere from Andrew Luck and now these injuries, I mean, this is a team that was built to contend and now they're just, they're, they're getting hit. I mean, listen, I, we've seen it with, with the Niners last year. It's a team that was legit on paper, but you know, you cannot sustain injuries. And it's one of those things that's just, it's in the ether, but if you're a Colts fan right now, you got to be cursing the gods because it, it's just, it's tough. It's one hit after another. Yeah. The only, the only thing I can say is maybe a silver lining is maybe they go, Hey, you know what? We're going to be bad this year. And then we'll finally just go draft our quarterback. And the next thing you know, they're rolling out Sam Howler, Spencer Rattler next year, and they already have everything else figured out. And they go, all right, this is just like Andrew Luck 2.0, where we're the worst team in the league. And then we add a great quarterback. The next thing you know, we're in the playoffs. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it's, it's one way you could look at and say, Hey, if we are cursed, we should just embrace it for one season. And maybe that will break it as opposed to kind of, you know, putting some band-aids over something. I don't know. It's, the only, the only thing I'm looking at is, hey, it's one less AFC team to compete with for a playoff spot. There you go. Well, it's certainly a glass half full uh, outlook on it. And I, I can appreciate that, Andrew. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure Colts fans were probably saying the same thing when Andrew Luck, when they were bad, you know, five, six years ago, seven years ago, when they drafted Andrew Luck, number one overall. And like, well, this is our guy for the next 15 years. Like, this is great. And lo and behold, anything can happen in the NFL. It certainly is to the Colts. It seems like everything bad is happening to you and only you. It's like, it's like the player haters ball where it's just, I just hope all the bad things in life happen to you and only you. And now I got to go fill Buck Nasty's mama's bowl. Those poor, poor Colts. It's all right. But it's just, that's the way the league goes. But look, one of the other things that's interesting in the NFL, right? I mean, obviously with the COVID uh, era hitting last year, we got a full season in, which was awesome. Nobody knew if we were going to get the full season in or not. But despite that, despite the smaller salary cap, some teams' values went up 15 to 20% in the offseason. And I know Tom Brady was one who tweeted out for his fellow players to quote-unquote wake up, referring to how it doesn't make sense for teams to be worth more while supposedly losing the money last season. You've got contracts that are getting restricted. I mean, is there anything to this? I mean, is this – how is it possible that a league that a, a supposedly lost hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars or more – now these valuations of these teams are actually going up by almost 20%. Yeah, it makes no sense. And it's one thing if they were to go up, but they, they went up drastically. Yeah. Like I, I, I was looking through it just because some of the numbers, I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. And it was literally saying, you know, 15%, uh, 17%, 20%. And, it, and then, yeah, and then at the same time, it's paired with how last year were, they're not even bringing in revenue really. And it was like, yeah, these two things don't add up. And it, I think it was, a lot of it probably has to do with, with them being valued and saying, hey, the, the introduction of sports gambling is going to slowly increase the values of these franchises. And I'm sure the same thing with just future TV deals. Like, I'm sure that's taken into account of it, which may not be tangible cash right now. But still, there, it doesn't really add up. It's like, how can we be losing money? And this is, you know, less money going into the pockets of the players when the teams themselves are worth more. I mean, the Cowboys are worth six and a half billion dollars. I don't I just don't know. I mean, how is that possible? I'm sure we'll find out more information because this is just a, such a new development. The Tom Brady tweet was literally today, Thursday. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe there's an explanation that we just haven't heard yet. But yeah, the, it just doesn't really add up when you look at it. Yeah, it doesn't. I have no idea. I mean, yeah, the Cowboys are, quote unquote, America's team, whatever the hell that means. I mean, they haven't been very good in a, quite a long time. How the fact that they're worth six and a half billion dollars is absolutely beyond me. But yeah, I mean, listen, it's 
it's one of those things where the rich always get richer, right? We talked about that at the MLB trade deadline, but it's the same in any sport, especially with the NFL. I mean, there's 32 owners who basically control the purse strings. They're the reason why Goodell has so much power. They're the ones who are reaping in all of these benefits where everybody else seems to be struggling. And you got guys on the roster who, I mean, look at Stefan Gilmore in new England. And that's, this is, this is completely on an Island, but a guy like that who deserves to get paid as one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league, if not the highest. And basically New England, Bob Kraft's there just saying, ah, we don't have the money. Meanwhile, you're raking in hundreds of millions of dollars a year and your valuation just went up 17%. Where, where's the correlation to that? That makes absolutely no sense. It's just like some guy, some rich guy saying, yeah, sorry, man, I don't have any coins for you while he's like shoving hundred dollar bills into his back pocket. So you can't see. Yeah. It, it, I don't, it, it's, I'm kind of at loss for words. Like one of the things that's come up recently this is obviously, I mean, the Broncos, I'm going to use as an example. They're going to go for sale this year. And a lot of talk is, oh, they're going to be worth about, you know, $3 billion, you know, and depending on like how much you have to pay when a bid, maybe they'll go for four or five. They're now valued at almost $4 billion, which <laughs> means they're probably going to go for like six to six and a half. And then what's that? You know what that's going to do? It's going to raise every team's value as well. So we could be talking next year, the Cowboys are worth $9 million or $9 billion. It's so this isn't going to stop. And as more teams do the same thing, they sell, we introduce more sports gambling. It's just going to continue to increase exponentially. And yet we'll probably still see only marginal increases in the salary cap. Yeah. Which is absolutely ridiculous. The more money that comes in, it doesn't seem to get to the players, which is the product on the field, which is why everybody wants to watch in the first place. It's stupid. It needs to change, but I don't know if it ever will. Let's do a quick Olympics check-in, Andrew, because I know we've been harping on Team USA men's basketball, the non-dream team, if you will, certainly struggled in the exhibition. But hey, guess what? We are (laughs) fighting for the gold. We're going to take on Team France on Saturday for the gold. Team USA has finally found its groove. Kevin Durant just decided, yeah, he's the best player in the world and just going to start taking over. The one thing is the other side of that coin. France stunned Team Slovenia. And with a last-second Nick Batum block, which if you haven't seen it, check it out. It is not quite as good as that Giannis block in the finals, but that was pretty special with basically a layup for Team Sylvania to, to win that game. Luca, by the way, I mean, in it, with, with a team filled versus Sylvania, like I can't name a single other guy on that team, but you got Luca just going full hero ball. He was 17-0 with them before this loss to France. I mean, the guy was carrying that team. I feel like we got robbed of a Luca KD gold medal showdown. Do you think not? Oh, that was literally going to be my exact take. It was like, I don't really care what Team USA does. I just wanted to see Slovenia versus USA to see what Luca does. Now, I can name one other Slovenian player, and that's Vlako Chanchar, the Nuggets 14th man. So, okay. you know, give him some love. He's been balling out. But yeah, you know, the storyline has been we want to see Luca. We want to see him put Slovenia on his back. And I'm pretty sure that team had like never qualified for the Olympics before in basketball and now they were on their way to potentially winning the gold just because of this guy he no, really made me. i mean yeah all, all due respect to zlako chanchar whoever is never going to get a minute in the nba he's played uh, he's played that's, that's, he's played. Team, that's that is a team full of basically you and me andrew and luka Doncic basically carried them through the entirety of that tournament i would have loved to see a five-on-one team usa versus luka and just somehow luka goes for 40 15 12 and just beats Team USA, I, I wouldn't have even minded that. No, I, I would have been like, hey, you know what? Silver's still solid. And, you know, I think what's going to make the Olympics interesting in the future is if there is competition. You know, like, we're, we're so used to the USA, like, winning that we're, our biggest harp is, oh, they only won by 30 as opposed to 50. 
you know, I, I think if we want to make the Olympics interesting, you have to have competition. So it might've been nice for the long run. If there is a team that, Hey, we're, we're the gold medalists now. I mean, look at Oh, four, they, they get the bronze and suddenly, Oh wait, there was actual anticipation for the redeemed team to win. And so I, you know, France has already beaten the U S so they could still win gold and we could still kind of have that storyline, but something tells me they've changed their philosophy. They're kind of like, Hey, we have Kevin Durant. Maybe we should just give him the ball and see what he does. So yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is we wanted Slovenia USA. And we didn't get it. Urgency is king. I mean, we, we had it early on in the qualifiers when team USA lost two of them. Right. But yeah, it, you're right. I mean, for the last 20 years, it's basically been team USA and everybody else and everybody else is caught up Spain, France, Slovenia with Luca, as long as they got Luca, they're caught up Australia. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things. Certainly I want us to see, to see us win gold, but yeah, I mean, I think the only way to continue sort of having the best guys in the NBA, the best players in the world from America to want to play in the Olympics is to have something to play for, right? I mean, as fun as it is to just beat up on all these teams, it's way more exciting to say, okay, yeah, we, 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 got, we got some challengers now. We want to get out there and we want to represent our country and win a gold. But on that note, let's go into our dudes and duds, Andrew. Who's your dude of the week? So my dude is, is Tom Brady which I can't believe I just said, but it's, it's for a very like jarring reason. And it's that earlier this week, Tom Brady turned 44 years old, which in a vacuum is just in, absolutely insane. Like just to say he's 44 years old as a quarterback in the NFL and not just a quarterback, arguably still the best. The very same day, Zach Wilson, the Jets rookie quarterback turned 22. For those of you that are, just did math at home, he's literally twice as old as Zach Wilson. How old Zach Wilson turned earlier this week Brady, when Brady turned that age, Zach Wilson was born. Like, can we just like fathom that for a second? Can you imagine you're literally playing with someone twice your age and they're still better than you in professional sports? I mean, the, the entire narrative, narrative around Brady has changed because while we used to crap on him, you used to be the villain. Now you just can't do anything but say like, dude, this is the greatest athlete we've probably we've arguably have ever seen in American sports. Yeah, I mean, shit. Brady, Brady is of the age where he could be the daddy of half the half the guys in the league in the NFL right now. Even Zach Wilson. I mean, it, it's it is amazing. It's unbelievable what a career Brady, Brady's had, and he's probably going to play till he's fifty, and hopefully not win six more titles because you know save some for everybody else, Tommy. But my dude of the week, and I we haven't talked about him in a while, but my man Carl Lewis, and no. It's not because he was singing national anthem somewhere. It was his take on the men's four by 100 relay. Now, I don't know if you saw it, but there was some baton issues with the, the pass off from leg two to three. They ended up losing. Um, it's one of those things that was, it was, it was tough to watch. I mean, you, the, you talk, we talk about team USA and basketball team USA on track, on the track, especially with the sprinters has really always been dominant, but <laughs> Carl Lewis decided to check in on Twitter and just absolutely eviscerate the four by 100 relay team. Basically, he said, quote, the passing system's wrong, athletes running the wrong legs, and it was clear there was no leadership. It was a total embarrassment and completely unacceptable for a USA team to look worse than the AAU kids I saw, end quote. Now, regardless of how you thought about, you know, just watching that, if anybody was able to watch that, the fact that Carl Lewis is chiming in basically saying, Team USA, the best four athletes in the world to run the four by 100 relay, don't look and he don't look better than the AAU kids that he saw. That is an absolute burn from a legend. I love it. Nice for checking in Carl Lewis and way to go. Way to, way to just shit all over your country. And I guess that's all I have to say. It was just awesome to see him back. Yeah, no. Um, 
Yes, so my, my dud also involves a tweet, but obviously for negative reasons, it's LeBron, who we, we already talked about the Lakers basically are throwing out, you know, the team AARP this season to win a title, which is all nice and well, but he goes out and, and just rants about all the criticism the Lakers are getting this week, which one, LeBron, KD is the one who overreacts on Twitter. Don't, don't be petty like him. And two, this is criticism that is absolutely warranted. Like, I don't care if you think differently, LeBron. You have to acknowledge that after a season in which we saw more injuries than ever, you're going to roll out a squad with a bunch of 30-year-olds. And, like, to especially with the Lakers having really bad injury luck last year, you cannot look at that and say, this is a foolproof plan. Now, you can say, hey, we're going to prove you wrong. We're going to win the title. And they very well might. They're in a great position to compete because, you know, Jamal Murray's hurt, Kawhi's hurt. The Suns, we're still not sure if they're going to still be a contender next year. Like, there's the it's totally open for them to do it but to come out and say how dare you guys criticize us dude he has just not had a good summer being out of the spotlight he has to say something and more times than not he's just putting his foot in his mouth it's like dude it's absolutely okay for us to say this is not the best strategy for the lakers and if you have a problem with it just go on the court and shut us up don't don't bitch about it on twitter yeah, a player that's that good, that's LeBron's caliber, has no business trying to just be petty and try to get himself into the news headlines. It's, it's kind of embarrassing, but I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be hilarious. Yeah, there's some some big, big names there on paper, but I feel like by the halfway through the season, half of those guys are going to be drinking, you know, apple applesauce through a straw because they're just so damn old. But I guess we'll see. My debt of the week, and we hit on this a couple weeks ago, but it's the Cleveland Guardians. Now, we, we already went through the whole diatribe of why the Guardians is an absolutely stupid name for a baseball team, but turns out that they might have themselves a little legal battle on the forefront because the Cleveland Guardians is actually a roller derby team in Cleveland that already has that name, that trademark, and it's against federal trademark law to bring in another team of the same name. So now, a dud? Yes, because the Cleveland Guardians is absolutely stupid, but maybe a dude because for that, if this really happens and they can't actually go forward with the name, the guardians and trademark that thing. Thank God. I mean, if you're in Cleveland, you're like, thank God. Now we got a chance to actually make a real name, a real club out of this. It's not going to be an embarrassment to everybody because I mean, they're absolutely getting bashed for this guardians name and logo, this G with the wings that's surrounding a baseball. Like it's trying to hump, hump a doorknob. I don't really know what's going on there, but Cleveland Guardians, I'm really glad that you guys did so much research and you didn't figure out that, oh, whoops, our name is actually already taken as a trademark and likeness by a roller derby team. So I'm really excited to see how that front office deals with these roller derby girls, because I'll tell you what, don't mess with a roller derby person at all. They will take your freaking head off. Definitely do, especially with baseball players now. They would definitely win that fight. And hey, I like the dodgeball reference with the hump and doorknob thing. Yeah. A little, little odd. I was like, I've definitely heard that before, but yeah. I really just go with the spiders. Go with you know? the spiders. Just go go with something cool. Don't go with the guardians. Yeah, and I I, I brought out the the dodgeball tweet only in in part and parcel because I didn't want to use the the R word that uh, yeah, it may or may not infuriate some of our our listeners. But didn't age well. Yeah, didn't age well. Did not age well. The guardians did not age well. I hope it's gone. Uh, we'll see. For for all my friends in Cleveland, I, I I hope for the best for you guys. But that's all the time we got. It's the walk-ons Thursday. Uh, August, I almost said October, Jesus. Thursday, August 5th, 2021. Andrew Schuster, Ryan Reeves, thanks for listening. We'll hear you next time. The Walk On.